Oh, there, wanderer. Stay thy course a while and indulge an old man. Have you ever heard the tale of the dread dragon Aristostomias? Aye, tis not a tale the elders would tell you. Sit, sit, I'll buy around and tell you a story of the fearsome power of this dragon of the deep. Aye, tis a tale on the evolutionary scale concerning the ancient past and the living present. The setting, the kingdom of Bathys, in the dark depths of the sea, a kingdom where some say life itself sprang forth from the nebulous ether. It is a kingdom of volcanoes, of unfathomable canyons and abyssal plains. It has never been a peaceful kingdom, but it is one of unimaginable beauty. Though the fight for survival is all its residents know, that has not stopped communities of all manner of creatures from forming shared bonds to survive the harsh and darkened cold. Yes, the explosion of life here was grand, beautiful, and unimpeded. But as these beautiful creatures evolved, so too did terrors of the eternal night. With a nearly invisible presence and teeth that rend your very flesh, thus did arise the dread dragonfish Aristostomias and its family of barbled horrors who would consume the unwary at a moment's notice. Alien these creatures were, able to unhinge their very jaw to swallow their victims, making the thought that your size might protect you a foolish notion. There is a saying in Bathys, you see. Beware the red light in an ocean of night, they say, for it may very well be your last glimpse of life. <laughs> Not that you could see red down here, anyways. There have been those intrepid enough to try and shine their own pale blue light upon the dragons, but legend says that the very skin of the dragon thirsts for luminescence, and will swallow your light before swallowing you. For millennia these terrors have reigned, like assassins hunting in the dark. Fish and mollusk, crustacean and cephalopod all feared the ambush of the dragon assassin. That is to say, Aristus Somaius and his draconic kin rule these depths, always present, just out of sight. Oh, garnered your interest, have I? What's that? You wish to find these dragons? I can't tell if you're incredibly brave or have a death wish. There's no gold to be had, no glory to be won. Why seek these terrors? The pursuit of scientific knowledge, you say? <laughs> now that is a worthy cause. I'll tell you what. You buy the next round, and I'll tell you everything I know. <laughs> Let us descend.
I didn't see you there. You're listening to Biodiversity, the podcast about pelagic paradigms and coral curiosities, where we bring the best in flippin' fun fish facts straight to your ear holes. It's kind of like we're the delivery drivers of peer-reviewed aquatic science, the grub hub of fish food for your mind, the DoorDash of dope decapods. Here on the show, we examine the weird, the wacky, and wonderful diversity of life that lives under the crashing waves of our blue world. Using cutting-edge science as our guide, we dive deep into both the common and the rare, the exotic and the ugly. So tune in for the tuna, stick around for the scorpion fish. Let's descend. Today on the show, dragons. Real honest-to-goodness dragons. And we aren't talking Komodos either, although both dragons are ferocious hunters in their own ways. Today, we shine the spotlight on a family of some of the most scientifically fascinating residents of the Midnight Zone. Though, as we'll find out later, shining any kind of light on them might be a little bit trickier than we think. Uh, My attentions keep returning to the deep sea, like, again and again, in part because of just the incredible variety of adaptions that let animals even live down here. And most of them do it so well. Uh, The dragonfish has some of the coolest. These adaptions will even bend the rules of physics to the fish's whims in ways that will blow your mind right into the water. Oh, no, no, no. That's not misspoken, my friend. These adaptions are so cool, they'll blow your mind out of the water, then trigger secondary timed charges, lighting an explosion of awesomeness that will send your mind plummeting right back down into the frothy sea. And you're gonna love it. This ferocious family of fish couldn't be more alien if they tried. Just the teeth of these creatures is enough to inspire nightmares the world over. And with teeth like these, you just know these fish are apex predators, hunters that rule the food chain at the top of their game. Uh, Normally, when you think about an apex predator, you immediately think of like a shark, a wolf, or a crocodile. You know, big things that could bite your face off. But the dragonfish proves that size doesn't matter, so long as you know how to hide and use your unhinged toothy maw. So hold on to your air supply, my friends. It's time to take a deep dive to meet this menace of the midnight zone, the tiny toothy terror, and winner of the so absolutely scary it's actually kind of cute contest, the dragonfish. When I say the word dragonfish, it's important to know that I'm not just talking about one creature. There are 57 known species of dragonfish, and it's possible, likely probable, that there are many, many more out there. Uh, Remember that around 80% of the ocean in its entirety has been unmapped, let alone explored, so who knows how many more dragons are out there in the inky darkness. All dragonfish belong to the Stomiidae family of fishes, and while there's a good amount of variation in the form and looks of these fish, there's quite a few unique features that link them all together. They are elongate with kind of wiggly-looking long bodies, uh, though they aren't quite as snake-like as an eel. Their scales are black, and some of them have these startling red eyes. Some of their heads, like that of the threadfin dragonfish, Aicostoma barbatum, looks more like an eel's or maybe a typical fish's, uh, but others, others like the stoplight loose jaw uh, or the shiny loose jaw, have these massive jaws, I mean longer than the cranium itself, that almost look external to the head, and the result is this skeletal, unhinged looking creature. Uh, add in some translucent, sharp, curved, and oversized teeth that don't even fit inside the mouth, and you got yourself one crazy-looking creature. 
Sounds scary, doesn't it? Like it might just be able to swallow you whole. But a typical dragonfish is actually on the smaller side of apex predators, averaging around 15 centimeters or only about 6 inches in length. The largest known dragonfishes are kind of hard to pin down, but to my research, it's either the black dragonfish, Idiacanthus atlanticus, whose females get to about 40 centimeters or 15.7 inches in length, or the species Opostomias micropnus, who have been reported around 50 centimeters or 19.6 inches in length. But these are kind of exceptions to that average. So it follows to wonder why a 6-inch fish would be named after a dragon. I mean, after all, most mythological dragons are huge and able to raise entire cities without so much as an afterthought. So how does a 6-inch fish manage to deserve such an intimidating name? Well, just like Smog, Maleficent, or Trogdor, these hunters are masters of their own craft, able to consume prey with startling efficiency. In fact, most dragonfish can eat prey that is up to 50% bigger than the standard length of the dragonfish itself. Simply put, that means that, like snakes, they can hunt, kill, and consume prey that is significantly bigger than they are. How does such a tiny fish accomplish such a scary feat? If you guessed specific evolutionary adaptions to enable a unique lifestyle, then you deserve a cookie, my ocean-loving friend. Life in the deep sea isn't easy. It's cold, it's under a lot of pressure, and it's widely thought that it's quite hard to even find prey, let alone capture and consume it. You need to be stealthy, you need to be fast, and you need to be powerful. But instead of being large and in charge, the dragonfish accomplish this by being one of the world's best assassins. Not only that, they are assassins with a particular skill to stay invisible. So let's see these assassination skills in action as we follow along a typical dragonfish as it hunts for its next meal. Most dragonfish are ambush predators, waiting while hidden until an unsuspecting fish wanders by before BAM! It's over before the prey even knows what's happening. So, here it is that we find the protagonist of this little story. Uh, let's call it the dragon Aristostomia centillions, the common name being the shiny loose jaw. He's hanging, nearly motionless, a few inches above the murk of the abyssal plain. The fish is difficult, nearly impossible to see, except for the one part of it that it wants its prey to see. You see, hanging from the lower parts of the skeletal jaw, there's a lure, a small, fleshy-looking appendage, flashing with blue light. Like many other members of the dragonfish family, the shiny loose jaw uses a photophore, a bioluminescent lure, as bait. And a nearby crustacean, a shrimp by the looks of things, has taken notice and begins to approach. Now, it's up to the dragonfish to hide, but here on the abyssal plain, there aren't exactly massive coral structures to hide behind, and you can be... Sure as heck, it isn't going to bury itself in the muck to make a den like some sort of antlion. So, instead, it just floats. Barely moving, it swims in plain sight. Hiding places are for losers, and you aren't about to accuse the dragon of the deep of being a loser, are you? I didn't think so. And yet, to the fast-approaching shrimp, there's nothing here but cold, black water. Yet on the other side... The dragonfish easily sees the unsuspecting crustacean approach and readies itself to strike. 
It should be obvious, but just in case it's not, life down here in the midnight zone is almost entirely devoid of light, so it makes sense that the shrimp wouldn't be able to see the main body of the dragonfish if there's no light to see by. It's pretty easy to just hide in the darkness, right? However, this strategy alone doesn't quite work. There's still a little bit of a problem for the dragonfish to overcome. Just because there's almost no light down here doesn't mean that there's absolutely no light. Several creatures will emit their own light sources using that adaption that we call bioluminescence. Flashes of brilliantly colored lights down in the deep are pretty commonplace, as a myriad of animals down here use these lights to hunt, defend themselves, and to communicate. As stated before, even the dragonfish itself utilizes bioluminescence, with those appendages called barbels protruding from the lower jaw, lighting up and acting as the lure that drew the prey in. So, a flash of light from a nearby creature or the dragonfish itself could very easily expose the hungry hunter, and the shrimp could be alerted, darting away, leaving the dragonfish without a meal. However, the dragonfish comes prepared, and this is where the first of its unique adaptions come into play. We didn't even know about this fully until last year, 2020. Scientists looking into the scales of the dragonfish and other deep-sea hunters discover that these scales are super unique within the animal kingdom. The scientists, using a spectrometer, measured the amount of light that, when shown upon the scales, ended up being reflected, and they found that the skin, the, the scales, of this fish were capable of literally eating the light. That is to say, any light being shown upon the fish would be absorbed at a rate of higher than 99.5%, leaving less than half of a percent of that light to be reflected back and able to be seen by any onlookers. Remember that our vision relies on reflected light to see anything. It's actually this light that bounces off an object and into our eyes that makes us register the object as being there. So if a given object didn't reflect any light, we literally couldn't see it. So the low rate at which these fish reflect light makes them extremely hard, if not entirely impossible to see, especially in an environment where the amount of light to be reflected is low to begin with. This scaly adaption was so unique that scientists have actually given the color of these fish and this absorption phenomenon a new name, Ultra Black. How extra is that? Ultra Black. Man, that sounds like something straight out of like an anime or a children's cartoon. You know, something like... Heh, <laughs> you fool. You think you've won. I unleash my ultimate attack! Ultra Black Deep Sea Fish Chomp Down! But I digress. The Ultra Black qualifier isn't exactly an exaggeration, though, as compared to an everyday black object, let's say a sheet of black construction paper or maybe a black coffee mug, a dragonfish's body is up to 20 times darker and less reflective. The record-setting fish from this study was actually an anglerfish, not a dragonfish, but according to the study, the anglerfish's scales reflected back a mere 0.044% of the light that was shown upon it. Hilariously, this actually caused problems for the researchers trying to photograph ultra-black specimens. Uh, as one Smithsonian research zoologist, Karen Osborne, put it, it didn't matter how you set up the camera or the lighting, they just sucked up all the light. So... 
What is it that is so different about these scales that make them so much darker than their typical black reef-dwelling cousins? Well, researchers needed an electron microscope to figure out that answer, and it does lie in the microscopic scale. When they looked at the skin cells of ultra-black fish, they found a bunch of organelles called melanosomes all densely packed together within the scale. Now, melanosomes are an organelle that exists, most often times, for the sole purpose of synthesizing and carrying a pigment called melanin, which is something that we perceive as black. Now, melanin, as a chemical, is the most common light-absorbing pigment found in the animal kingdom, and ultra-black fish have a lot of it. Not only do they have a large quantity, the melanosomes that they found were also unique in their shape. They were more elongated in addition to being so densely packed together. So, after the electron microscope images were obtained, the researchers ran some fancy computer models on the melanosome geometry, and it was determined that the very shape of the melanosome itself was optimal for eating light. So, we have a heckin' lot of melanin all arranged in a physically optimal way, and when you add those two things together, you get a lot of light absorption. I am not sure nature could get any better at eating light if it tried, though I look forward to the day that it proves that statement wrong. These ultra-black scales are almost like the dragonfish having its own version of an invisibility cloak, taking advantage of the properties of light to remain unseen. <laughs> invisibility cloak for a fish. Evolution never ceases to amaze. But the story's not over yet, because there is still a problem. Uh, several, actually. Though the fish is mostly draped in ultra-black stealth scales, the 100% entirety of the fish is not. You know, what about those oversized, curved, terrifying teeth? They are transparent, or see-through, but it has been shown in research that transparent materials like these teeth are actually pretty conspicuous, and very easy to see when illuminated by bioluminescent light. So, if these teeth reflected a blue bioluminescent flash, it would still be over for the wily hunter. And remember, with such a huge jaw, the dragonfish can't just hide the teeth either. They are stuck on the outside of its mouth. But the dragonfish comes prepared, as adaption number two in its arsenal of stealth really begins to shine. Or, rather, explicitly doesn't shine. As mentioned before, the teeth are transparent, which makes most people think that that's already practically invisible. However, this is not always the case, as the reason has to do with how light acts as it passes through a transparent material. When we talk about light like this, that puts us squarely back in the science realm of physics. Ooh, baby, that's right, my fish-loving friends. It's time for another exciting segment on fish physics. Which, in case you didn't already know from previous episodes, is 153% cooler than regular physics because fish are involved. Now, light is tricky, being that not-quite-a-wave-not-quite-a-particle stuff that a lot of nerdy people like to debate about. But for our purposes here, it's useful to think of the light as a, a straight line, shining from whatever its source is. When a ray of light hits a transparent material, part of the light passes through it. A truly transparent material will just let 100% of the light through without any change to the light itself. There is no reflection, there is no scattering, and the object would appear invisible. That line of light would just pass through, remaining straight. 
However, true transparency like this is not what we usually see in the real world. Most oftentimes, the light will encounter something in the material, uh, impurities, odd angles, or the like, as passing through then will cause it to bounce or otherwise change course. It could reverse the direction of the light, bouncing back the way it came. That's what we call reflection. Uh, it could ever so slightly change the angle of the ray's trajectory, called refraction. Or it could just get bounced in a random direction, called scattering. You know, if you've ever seen a prism turn white light into a rainbow, or seen Pink Floyd's album cover for Dark Side of the Moon, you've seen refraction in action. And if you've ever seen, well, anything ever, you've seen reflection and scattering in action. As I stated before, it's this bouncing of light off of an object and entering our eyes that actually lets us see that object. So that's a fast crash course there, but let's bring it all together. What this means is that if a material was 100% transparent, meaning that all light passed through it with absolutely no change or bouncing whatsoever, it would be invisible. There is no way any creature that uses light to see could see it. Most materials, including transparent materials, do have enough microscopic irregularities to interfere with the light passing through to some degree. Even if it's just a small percentage, some light will get reflected, refracted, or scattered, meaning that it could be seen. So that's why even clean glass isn't 100% invisible. So in research into other animals that use transparency as a form of camouflage, like deep-sea cephalopods, it has been demonstrated that under directed light, say, like a bright flash of bioluminescence, the unavoidable internal light scattering of transparent tissue is enough to make the transparent animal brighter than the background, meaning that it is conspicuous and seeable as all heck. So then the question for the dragonfish and its teeth becomes, how much can you reduce the amount of light that gets reflected and scattered back to the eyes of a would-be prey animal? Enter nanocrystals. Researchers looking into the teeth of the dragonfish found something incredible. Like a lot of other animals, the teeth are comprised of two layers, the outer enamel-like layer and the inner dentin layer. Both layers were examined under electron microscopy, and both layers were shown to be comprised, in some way, of really, really small, crystalline-looking structures. I'm talking like 1 nanometer wide and 25 nanometers long. Each of these nanocrystals, making up the overall nanostructure, was determined to be made of collagen and or hydroxyapatite, a chemical you might recognize if you listen to episode 5 of this very podcast. The geometry of these nanocrystalline structures, or nanocrystals, was tested, and lo and behold, this crazy structure dramatically reduced the scattering of light that happened as directed light was passed through. According to the study, the smaller the nanocrystal, the less efficient it was at scattering light. So by making them really, really tiny, a very small amount of light gets scattered. So, even if the teeth are illuminated, a healthy, healthy majority of the rays of light just zoom on through. They just pass through with no change or only minor changes in their trajectory. And if only a small amount of light gets scattered in this way, then, well, you are inching closer to true invisibility. So, while it's not perfect, it is darn near close. And our poor prey, that shrimp edging ever closer to investigate the light that it thinks might be a meal for itself, has absolutely no perception of the hungry hunter hovering so closely above. Uh, between these nanostructured crystalline teeth and the light-eating ultra-black scales, our hunting dragonfish is nigh on undetectable to the shrimp, who is now unnervingly close to their demise. 
the dragonfish stealth is not perfect, and it is still possible that a wrong flash of light could reveal the hunter's position. But with these adaptions in place, oh, it's not looking very good for our little shrimp friend. The game's not quite over for the shrimp, though, because all of this still doesn't solve the problem of how the dragonfish itself can see in the darkness. Uh, the shrimp, who is now scrambling over a small rocky structure in the depths, can't see the dragonfish. But can the dragonfish see it? Well, of course it can, and it does so by producing its own bioluminescent light to illuminate its target. Hold up. Wait a minute. Something ain't right. Didn't I just finish explaining how light could still potentially reveal the position of the dragonfish? How its stealth relies on darkness and its whole hunting strategy relies on stealth? Why would it purposefully generate a searchlight to illuminate the very thing it is trying to eat? Am I talking crazy just now? Well, yes, but actually no. For you see, generating your own light doesn't matter if that light is red. Back to fish physics for another segment on the wonky world of light, but due to the differences in how wave properties of light act, different colors of light act differently underwater. Uh, this is actually a part of the advanced open water course for scuba divers, uh, is to learn how light is affected by depth. See, blue light has really short wavelengths and a high energy, meaning that when traveling through the water, it can go pretty far. Red light, by contrast, has really long wavelengths and a very low energy, so it dies out pretty quick when traveling through the water medium. So this is why, to my fellow divers and snorkelers, red and orange colors of corals and other creatures are usually the first to fade as you go deeper into the water column, leaving only the blues and greens to be seen at depth. In the deep sea, then, it makes sense that most forms of bioluminescence are blue. It travels farther. Uh, if you're using it to see, you can see more, you can see farther, and if you're using it to communicate, you can communicate over greater distances. After all, red light barely travels anywhere, so what use is it? Thus, evolution has tended to favor the blue light emissions in the deep. But that favoritism has come with a cost. The cost of the ability to even see the red light. You know, just as humans can't see ultraviolet or infrared light, most organisms at that depth straight up cannot see red. There's probably a joke in there about how zen they must be if they can't see red. Uh. Thus, it is the ability to generate and see red light that is considered the third crazy adaption of the dragonfish. Even though it's short-ranged, the stealthy fish has absolutely no trouble getting up close and personal with its prey. So it is that our dragonfish hunter has a searchlight of red that the shrimp wanders into. And now, it's game on for real. The dragonfish sees its quarry, while the shrimp still remains none the wiser. It's totally lit up in red light, but it has no idea. Between the cloak of invisibility that the dragonfish put on itself, and the shrimp's own inability to see red, all the shrimp can see is the deep, black void. It is worth noting at this point that of the 57 species of known dragonfish, only 9 have been determined to be able to produce red light in this way. But I have linked a video from the Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institute in the show notes where you can see the organ from the shiny loose jaw very clearly. It's these two red flashing organs right underneath its eyes. I highly recommend checking it out. It is so cool. So it is that once the shrimp wanders into the searchlight, it is already over. The loose jaw is close enough to strike, and the jaws close around the crustacean faster than a human can blink. 
The jaws distend in horrific fashion, elongating almost like a scoop, and closing around the shrimp fiercely, pulling it in as it impales through the shell. Uh, those nanocrystalline teeth aren't just stealthy either, they are razor sharp. The tip radii being about 2.5 to 5.0 micrometers. Uh, uh, for comparison, a piranha's teeth are around 14 micrometers. So these teeth sink in and the shrimp is just trapped, being pulled helplessly back towards the maw of the dragon. In this interaction, the dragon emerges victorious. It's these special, horrific jaws of the dragonfish that allow them to strike like this and comprise the fourth and final adaption that we're going to talk about on the show today. I'll link a visual and a diagram for the jaws in the show notes as a picture tells an incredible story here. The typical dragonfish jaw is long, much longer than a typical fish jaw, though some species don't look like it when the jaw isn't extended. But when the fish bites, the lower part of the jaw shoots out and the rest of the head almost rotates. This creates an almost scoop-like and incredibly wide maw, ready to devour any unlucky prey. Some dragonfish species have jaws that are up to 20% the length of the standard length of the fish itself. We are talking a jaw that is a fifth of the length of the fish itself. But once again, physics proves to be an obstacle for the fish to overcome. Typically, we don't see fish with such long jaws, and that is for a reason. Bigger mouths means more surface area that they have to move through the water, meaning more drag. More drag means less speed, and if you aren't fast enough in closing your jaw, your prey could detect your strike while you are striking and still escape. So one would think to compensate you would need stronger jaw muscles in order to clamp down, making it faster. But this is not what we see in the dragonfish. In fact, its adduction muscles, the ones that clamp down, are pretty weak. So instead of powering up its muscles, which requires more energy, the dragonfish gets creative. And by creative, I mean that it entirely gets rid of the floor of its mouth. That's what makes the head of the dragonfish look skeletal. The lower half of its head is just the jaw, the teeth, and a bony hinge of sorts that kind of supports the levering of the jaw open. With no skin or tissue between the lower half of the jawbones, the drag of the water as it closes is severely reduced, and hence the dragonfish can still close its relatively huge and long jaw at high velocities, all while not needing muscle power. It's yet another way that the dragonfish uses physics to its own advantage. Truly an inspiration for physicists and inventors the world over. It is absolutely astounding to me just how many things had to line up evolutionarily to see such a remarkable creature. I mean, we talked about four different adaptions in this family of fish, and that didn't even cover things like how it deals with the cold or the pressure of the deep sea, uh, how often it has to eat with its energy needs or anything like that. You know, thinking about how this sort of thing could evolve, I mean, personally, it adds just another layer of appreciation. The dragonfish are unlike anything else on Earth. They're not only able to cope with the harsh physics and realities of deep-sea living, they adapt to it and bend those same physical realities to their advantage. Though these fishes may only average six inches, in this fish nerd's book, they earn and deserve their ferocious title of dragon. Who knows, give it a few more millennia, and the next thing you know, you'll be telling me that they can breathe fire. Or, at least, superheated water. 
That's going to wrap up today's episode of Biodiversity. I hope you enjoyed it. While they may not guard intense treasure hordes or fight Arthurian knights on the regular, I hope that you're convinced that these dragons of the deep truly rival those mythological creatures of legend. And remember, if the dragonfishes teach us anything, it's that just because you don't hunt or, well, do things in the way that people expect, or you don't look a certain way or are a certain size, that doesn't mean that you aren't unique, awesome, lovable, and all-around great at what you do. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm off to go read more papers on fish physics. I'll see you guys next time.